Welcome, Scooper Troopers, to another episode of The Dipshit Files. I am Mr. Scriptkeeper. And I'm Mrs. Scriptkeeper. And we've got ourselves a hell of a dipshit for you this week. We are calling him the feral hamster of Kansas <laughs> to respect him for the kind of piece of shit that he is. But his name is Johnny Robinson. He's a serial killer, a kidnapper, a con man, an embezzler, a forger, and also a scoutmaster, a baseball coach, and <laughs> he was an aspiring priest at one point. Yes, he was. He was. He's also a hell of an entrepreneur, and we'll get into that as well. Yeah. So join us as we open up another dipshit file. <laughs> Dipshit Files, number eight, back to the serial killers, mm-hmm. John E. Robinson. He's one that you brought to us at Time Suck. Yeah. And we didn't get to him because there's so many. Right. But he is one that we're going to cover because he's fucking interesting. It's what a crazy it story. It's a crazy story. I've said this, I think, last week for something, but this is like a wily e. Coyote fucking. Yeah. <laughs> right. He's just got all these schemes and plots and there's a, it's just a dark turn. Mm-hmm. And it kind of reminds me of the, if you guys remember the, there's a movie and a book, but a guy that's based on the catch me if you can guy mm-hmm. where he just conned his way. He's like, I'm a pilot now. I'm a doctor now. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I should get a, the medal of honor now. He's that kind of guy. Yeah. But in just the worst fucking way. Right. I think you guys are going to find this guy interesting. That's for sure. My research, the research was ridiculous. I mean, I spent the last week in darkness, proverbial darkness, because of the holes that I had to, the the rabbit holes I had to fall down to get the information, but still very, very interesting. Absolutely. And we gave him, we won't tell you what the dipshit meter number is yet, but he is high up there when it comes to his criminal mind. Mm -hmm. He actually got the Mm 5.0. And we'll get into where he sits amongst the other guys. He's, but he's right up there with the Ed Kempers and the Jeffrey Dahmers, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. But nobody's ever heard of him, really. Right. Well, not that I know of. I mean, people in Kansas probably know oh, exactly I'm sure. who he is. And, yeah, in Missouri. In Missouri, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. So the feral hamster of Kansas. <laughs> okay, uh, so... We're not giving... We're not going to say nice things about these no. guys, obviously. But we're not going to give them the names that are cool, either. No. The feral hamster of Kansas. <laughs> yeah. And we're not trying to, you know, diss on hamsters and hamster culture and well, hamster ownership. I called him a hamster because, well, if you look at him, just look a picture. Look at a picture. He looks like oh. a hamster with his pouches full. And then, you know, so he just looks like a hamster. And this to guy me. conned people in every institution. Mm-hmm. This is, you guys are going to, well, a just, weird story that we're going to go through together today. And his collection of, of the way he got money. Mm-hmm. Was in his, uh, I don't know, his greedy nature just mm-hmm. reminded me of a hamster also just stuffing the pouches until they were just... Or disparaging hamsters, though. <laughs> and hamsters are hamsters good little creatures. Hamsters are super cute. A hamster's going to do what a hamster does. But this is a feral hamster. This is the feral hamster of <laughs> Kansas. And he was a naughty little fuck. <laughs> yes, he was. And here's what we're going to learn about his life. We're going to learn about, you know, his early years and all mm-hmm. that bullshit. He was married. And then about that time, his life of crime began. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get into the soap opera fucking life of this weird. <laughs> yes, feral, absolutely. Feral hamster of Kansas and all of the terrible things he did to people to yeah. victimize them. And then we'll talk about his trial and mm-hmm. his, his time in prison. Uh, we have an update because this guy's still fucking. He's, he's still in the news. He's still trying to con people. Yeah. He's trying to con his way out of his fucking sentences. Yeah. 
And so, yeah, it's very interesting. Dude, the we'll, guy we'll, cannot be released. We'll have to sign some petition and to be like, <laughs> nope, don't listen to that guy. Whatever you guys do, don't let it. Whatever fairy dust he's throwing at this guy. Yeah, he. I don't know. He's it's a like, wizard, maybe. It's like he's got a siren song when he speaks. It's like, no, plug your ears. La 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 right. la. You can, I can't hear you. Right. Just to keep yourself safe is what it seems like. The magic feral hamster of Kansas. <laughs> I don't know. Fuck. The feral hamster wizard. Magic's a positive word, I think. The the feral wizard hamster. (laughs) Of Kansas and Missouri. It's starting to get to be a less catchy title, which also they deserve a non. But it is. should have a bunch of syllables. You're involved. So, of course, there's a lot of syllables. What are you talking about? I never name things lots of syllables. Really? I have a band that's really easy to say, <laughs> really easy to spell. All right, and then from the, from after that, from our update, we'll go to our our meter mm-hmm. and we'll we'll rate this guy, and it's pretty high. Mm-hmm. And then we'll do our little conclusions, and we'll talk to you about uh, what we're we're going to do next week. Yeah. Oh, and I have a couple letters at the end too. Exactly. And so that's what we'll do. But on the other side of this thing, we're going to learn about fucking John E. Robinson, the feral hamster of Kansas. John E. Robinson, what a dipshit. John Robinson was a lifetime scam artist who became well-known to authorities for his constant embezzlement and fraud charges. It wasn't until women started going missing that the law in both Kansas and Missouri came together to put an end to his violence. Now, a little bit of history about the the area that kind of plays into understanding how the legalities worked here. Context of the dipshit. Kansas City is one of the few cities that split between two states when Missouri was admitted to the Union in 1820. It was one of the only areas in the land obtained in the Louisiana Purchase where slavery was legal. Kansas was established by mostly abolitionists, so when the Civil War started, the two states had a bit of a rivalry, to say the least. Tribalism is the absolute go-to for human beings, so it doesn't take much. Kansas attempted to unify the city after the Civil War, making the whole of the city within Kansas state border, but Missouri was not interested in losing a major metropolitan mm. area. Oh, you can have it. We'll just make another one. Today, there's still a rivalry between the two cities, though it usually shows itself more at sporting events. Mm-hmm. Well, Kansas doesn't have any professional teams. They have a really good college basketball team. <laughs> uh, they have some questionable seasons every, every right. year for football. They lost, yeah, this, the thing that's named after their state, they're like, is in Missouri. It's like, mm-hmm. son of a bitch! <laughs> <laughs> and so they cheer for, you know, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, and they like the Royals, mm. and they're like, well, that should be our team. And, it's, and people are confused. It's like, you guys have a Kansas City, but it's not even nearly the size of the one I've heard about. Where's the baseball team? And they're like, it's in, no, it's in Missouri. All right, we're going to get it back to sad. John E. Robinson. Yeah, Johnny Robinson, sorry. <laughs> Context. Oh, John Edward Robinson was born on December 27th, 1943, in Cicero, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. His father, Henry, was a machinist, and his mother, Alberto, was a stay-at-home mom. John had four siblings, Henry Jr., Donald, Joanne, and Mary Ellen. It is said that John had a decent childhood, so it might have been the local crime that influenced John to make money throughout his life through less than legal means. Maybe he was born that way. Cicero was famous for being the headquarters for Al Capone, 
who ran his empire from a building only a few blocks away from where John was born. Your crime's a proud tradition around here. Though Al Capone was gone before John was born, organized crime was still a big part of the area. Of course. It would take some time, though, before John was sucked into the promise of easy money. But he would then spend the rest of his life being a huge cunt. He became a Boy Scout at the age of 12 and eventually worked his way up the ranks to Eagle Scout. I know that path. It's not easy. In 1957, he had the opportunity to travel to London with a group of scouts who performed before Queen Elizabeth. I wonder what that performance is like. Now, this is a box knot. It's just a box like not. Oh, very good. When he was 14, he was placed in the prestigious Quigley Seminary, a private Catholic school that prepared boys who were aspiring priests. When he was young, John would say he just wanted to serve the Vatican. However, he dropped out after one year due to disciplinary issues and his plans of becoming a priest were gone. He got average grades while there and eventually enrolled in Morton Junior College taking classes to become an x-ray technician in 1961. Mm -hmm. Despite getting poor grades and dropping out after just two years, John didn't let that stop him. Yeah, credentials. In the absence of any real qualifications or training, John just lied. Things were different before the internet. He eventually fabricated fake certificates from all of the imaginary programs that he had completed. Yeah, I'm not going to play by the rules anymore. Fuck that. He tricked a number of medical centers into employing him as an x-ray tech even though he had zero qualifications. Well, you're forgetting his two years of bad grades. This is how John spent his early 20s and it was the start of his lifetime as a con artist. Well, it seems like a cunt to me. In 1964, while working as an x-ray tech, John met a woman named Nancy Jo Lynch. Poor Nancy. And he proposed to her after only a few dates. Okay. Nancy said yes, and they quickly got married. Dumb. Nancy was already pregnant with their first child when they said their I do's. What a weird life it would be to be the child of a known psychopath. John's happy new life was quickly put in jeopardy when he was caught embezzling money from the hospital where he was working with his fake credentials. Fake killing it. He convinced his boss that he would repay the money if he didn't go to the police. Okay. It's unclear if John actually repaid the money, but soon the Robinsons left Chicago and arrived in Kansas City at the end of 1964. Nancy gave birth to their first child, John Jr., in 1965, followed by daughter Kimberly in 1967, and twins Christopher and Christine in 1971. Once settled, John once again used his fake certificates as well as some fake letters of recommendation to secure a job as a pediatric x-ray tech. Jesus. He told the hospital... Those are hard jobs, aren't they? You, I mean, would, you would think. It's I, like, hey, I want to fake something. I'm going to do something that's very important to children, <laughs> to the children's, and that I'm going to obviously be bad at. See, I know nothing about radiography so i, I and don't he know. didn't either and he's like i'll just wing it let me try something oh god doctor what do you think we should do yeah, i think we should probably saw off this part here oh but that's the child's head now this part here you want to cut this part it, that's the neck mm -hmm. connected to the head yeah we'll have some fucking duct tape ready well he told the hospital that he had just been accepted to medical school to become a doctor mm -hmm. and needed a night job to help pay for his schooling yeah, i have my own saw if you need me to bring that none of that was true of course but they bought it and he started working with children oh goody it was quickly realized that John was not a very good x-ray tech and he had no idea how to work with children. <laughs> Yee, big surprise. Goodness. Right, here's the thing, John. Just sit down. What is it? Well, there's really only two things that you need to be able to do at this job, okay? You need to do x-ray tech stuff yeah. and you need to be good with kids. Right. Well, you suck something off of both those things. I see. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed, but the kids hate you. Despite giving him multiple chances as well as extra training, Eventually, the hospital fired him. Thanks, John. I don't know what the fuck you're doing, but get the fuck out. Yeah, okay. But now Nancy was uh, staying at home with their first child, so John needed to keep the money coming in. 
he ended up landing an even better job at a private practice and x-ray lab of Dr. Wallace Graham. Didn't check those references, eh? Here he was able to hide his lack of skills by delegating all of his duties to the other staff. Uh, John, I really need your help with this. Hey, Tim, come here. You want to sew this guy up for me here? What are you talking about? I just get the coffee. Uh, You got this, Tim. As the clinic suddenly began losing money, John was coincidentally outspending lavishly. He bought a lakefront home and a new car for Nancy. By 1969, the bookkeeper discovered that John had embezzled more than $100,000 from the clinic. John again offered to pay back the money if the clinic didn't call the police, but they refused. They're like, no, we did us Nah, dog. You've done so many things. (laughs) John was arrested right there in his boss's office and taken away in handcuffs. Nice. This does sound like a movie, this guy's life. It kind of does, yeah. But it's just a dumb movie, though. That's why it hasn't been made. It's like, (laughs) this guy's dumb. You're not cheering for anybody. Oh, it gets more and more frustrating (laughs) as time goes on. That's why no one made this movie. It's obvious, I think. (laughs) It's interesting, but... mm. After an investigation, authorities determined that they could only prove that John embezzled $33,000, and he was found guilty by a jury. Okay. He was given a suspended sentence and three years of probation. Slap on the wrist. However, his time on probation ends up being a steady stream of criminal activity (laughs) and is completely baffling that he doesn't end up serving time in prison. Hmm. Having been ousted from the medical field, John forged more certificates and talked his way into a job as a systems analyst with Mobile Oil. Hmm. But he was soon caught stealing $372 worth of postage and was given a deal in court to repay the money and his charge would be reduced to a misdemeanor. Okay. He's in for big he's, money. He's, he's in, in for, for little money. He's in for stamps. He just likes money. In, 19, stamps. in 1971, he and his family then moved back to Chicago. Pharaoh Hamster of Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> In 1971, he and his family then moved back to Chicago, which violated his parole, and John began working as an insurance salesman at the R.B. Jones Company. That's he's already selling insurance. He's he's already kind of his name aligning with a few things, like uh-huh. the, the Cub Scouts, the Boy Scouts of America. Are like, no, he doesn't represent <laughs> the Catholic Church. Is like, no, 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 no. <laughs> insurance salesmen are, are like, fucking what? Can we not get a break? Have you seen this economy? No one likes it. <laughs> We're trying to put Patrick Mahomes with people you like in front of you. Go ahead. Sorry. While working at this new company, he was caught embezzling $506.36. Send for the little money, send for the big money. Teeny tiny. John agreed to pay the money back, and the court in <laughs> Illinois agreed to dismiss the case. While, this, while he's on probation. They, however, reported the crime to his parole officer, and John was ordered to return to Kansas where his parole was extended. Okay. Now, just so all you good people know who haven't committed a crime. Not that you're bad if you've no, committed I'm a just, crime. No, I'm just saying, for those of us who haven't. two shoes. Well, all, I'm just saying, okay, so me personally, <laughs> I'm not on wife. parole and right. I'm not familiar with parole. Okay. So it's a common condition of parole is that you aren't allowed to leave the state without notifying your parole officer. Okay. I didn't know that. So they will regularly grant permission to leave the state for a variety of reasons, but you just have to get it okayed first. Right. So and they can deny that, obviously. Yeah, too. They can that. be like, no, stay here. Back in Kansas City, John decided it was time to strike out on his own. Get out there, buddy. He set up his own company called Professional Services Association. <laughs> <laughs> Professional oh Services God. Association. Why, the PSA is here to save the day. <laughs> PSA is on your side. <laughs> <laughs> and 
marketed himself as a financial consultant for people in the medical field. This would give Feral him hamster of cancers. <laughs> this would give him access to other people's money, which he obviously intended to appropriate. He started working for a couple of hospitals, but they caught on pretty quickly that he didn't know what the fuck he was doing. No, <laughs> uh, uh, then uh, in an attempt, how do you tell a guy that? Like, dude, dude, you don't John, know what the fuck you're doing, John. Yeah, come here a minute, John. I need to talk to you. Is it about a raise? No, I actually don't think you know what you're doing at all. And I in see. 20 years of seeing people do your job, I've uh-huh. never seen anyone fail so hard at yeah. your job. Right. So can I have your bank codes? Yes, yeah, sure. Here you go. Then, in an attempt to bring new capital to his company, he forged even more letters. One of which was from a pharmaceutical distributor claiming they wanted to buy his company. He then sent those letters out to potential investors telling them that they could buy stock in the company before the takeover and make a fucking killing. That, my friends, is called securities fraud. absolutely it is. (laughs) He's like, I got this great idea for business. He's like, everything I do... Just taking them off. Just taking off the felonies. If I I go through business and if I get rid of all the things that are hard (laughs) in business and just cheat (laughs) and lie, then business. Okay, so get this. One of the investors he sent the letter to just happened to be friends with the person he forged the letter from. And soon, John found himself under arrest again. <laughs> Serendipity. I know, right? They're like, dude, hey, I got this letter from you. Uh, what? Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Well, so, he's still very high on the criminal mind because of all these like, oh, g- weird, it gets better. It gets Coyote better. Ideas to make money. In 1975, John was charged with securities fraud, surprise, mail yeah. fraud, and falsely representing his company, Professional Services Association. If you've got some sort of business need, we've got your answer we're professional service association we do services professionally because we're associated call us today to give us your bank number 555 he was given a $2,500 fine three more years of probation and the securities exchange came back and told him just don't do that again <laughs> okay. seriously good lord damn, dude that's all they've ever yeah, said to him this, in his whole life like quit quit stop, doing that stop we, breaking the law scouts on it i will stop this man just keeps getting break after break and it just fucking blows my it's mind it's gotta make you more confident if you're a criminal you're like well Ugh. fuck they don't even care well okay so let's remember this was you know I am above years the ago. so the run-ins with the law didn't slow john down though Robinson became, Hamsterman. as we had discussed, a scoutmaster. Oh, that's way worse. He became a baseball coach Fuck. and a Sunday school teacher. Uh. In 1977, he was named to the board of directors of a local charitable organization where he forged letters from its executive director to the mayor of Kansas City and from the mayor to civic leaders, naming him as the organization's man of the year. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> And under that guise, he hosted an awards luncheon in his honor. Uh, in his own honor. He like, threw his own luncheon. Is this on? Yeah, yeah I want to thank everybody for coming to honor me. I especially want to thank myself for putting on this event for myself. Uh, there's a petition going around to have this building named after me. Okay, thank you. Okay, so then he started another company called Hydrogrow. Hydrogrow. Where he claimed to sell kits that would let you grow vegetables inside your home. That's a nice This man is all over the yeah, place. He began looking for investors. This is sad. You got to diversify your portfolio. See, this I'm guy. Into, I'm into doing things with kids and I, the kids <laughs> hate me. I'm into doing things with plants. I'm not good with plants. So he began looking for investors and he did find his first one. Oh, a victim, you mean? He found a victim. Yeah. So oh. when Brooks Ricard invested $25,000, hoping oh, to use the return on his investment to pay for his wife's 
cancer treatments? The company ended up going nowhere. John abandoned the plan, and he kept Brooke's money. And his wife and didn't get the cancer treatments. Nope, nope, nope. Yeah. So in 1979, John was released from his parole, and he got a job as the employee relations manager <laughs> at Guy's Foods. Is that HR? It yes, HR it is me. HR. The worst possible choice uh, to be so, an HR manager, it sounds. At Guy's Foods. Okay, so Guy's Foods is a company that manufactured snack foods for the fast food restaurants. So over the next nine months, John began inventing employees and having their salaries paid directly to him. (laughs) God, this guy's brazen. Additionally, he had started an affair with one of the secretaries of the company, most likely because he just needed her help with the scam. Pharaoh, hamster of cancer. Right. When she told him she wanted him to leave Nancy and marry her... John's like, fuck that. And the woman turned on him. She turned him in. Mm. Over the course of the investigation, it was revealed that John had opened a corporate bank account under Guy's Foods name and had used it to funnel $1,662 to himself. He had also written himself $20,000 worth of checks. Little money, big money. He's into both. Yeah, directly from the company account. John ended up pleading guilty to felony theft and was given a 60-day jail sentence and probation in 1982. Hmm. The courts continually allowed John to serve his time on the outside, allowing him to continue to rip people off, something he clearly has no intention of stopping. No. And the thing is, his will, the, the things that he's willing to do to get money will escalate drastically when he's released from his jail sentence. Uh, he's just... It's going to get nuts. Playing in this world. It's Ugh. like, what else can I try? I think I'm just... What if, will people take squirrels? If I punch squirrels in the face... <laughs> I'll punch your squirrel. A new business is called Equisquirrel. So John started yet another company. This one's called Equiplus. Equisquirrel Plus. Which was supposedly a venture capital company. Then he started another company called Just Equi, which was supposed to be a management consultant firm. Oh, this activity apparently raised no red flags with the authorities. Mm. I, I was just like... Aghast at what I was well, reading. Well, it probably wasn't successful as a company. It was probably just, you know, yeah, just, in his house uh, and it's just pieces of paper. Right. That he's filed well, with the s- government. Still, nobody noticed. Right. True. So on January 12th, 1985, a woman called the police in Overland Park, Kansas to report her sister in law and her daughter missing. Lisa Eldridge was born April 11th, 1965, in Huntsville, Alabama and had a childhood that was filled with unfortunate death. Her father and brother both died when she was young, and she struggled for the rest of her youth. In 1983, when she was 17 years old, she dropped out of school and moved to Kansas City to try and get a fresh start on life. Sounds like a blues song or something. Right. (laughs) All my family's dead, it made me sad. I was 17 and I dropped out of school to go to Kansas City instead. Probably wasn't the best decision I ever made ever. She knew nobody there and was starting over from scratch. One night, she went into the bar and the bartender served her a beer despite knowing she was underage. They began talking. And the bartender, Kathy, took pity on the girl and offered her a place to stay. Nice. It wasn't long before Lisa became part of the group who hung out at the bar, and it was there she met a man named Carl Stacy. Lisa got pregnant, and in August of 1984, she and Carl got married. Lisa got pregnant from a guy named Carl, <laughs> said that she was in love. 
She gave birth to their daughter Tiffany on September 3rd of that year. And unfortunately, the honeymoon was short-lived and the relationship quickly became abusive. Hmm. So in October, Lisa took Tiffany and moved to the Hope House, a woman's shelter in Kansas City. Not long after, Carl went to Chicago, where he re-enlisted in the Navy and was sent out on deployment. At the beginning of January in 1985, Lisa was told by a counselor at the Hope House that a newly started outreach program had offered to help her. She would be able to move into the program's apartment and they would send her to school. It sounds so promising. <clears throat> she had expressed interest in becoming a screen printer and the director of the program, John Osborne, said that he knew of a silk screening program at a college in Dallas, Texas. I know a bunch of silk screeners. And I, I don't, don't know if any of them went to college. No, well, I worked at it. So, no, no. What? Well, cool. Good. Is, Tell us if we're wrong. I'm uh, sure. Uh, maybe. This was a technology developing, perhaps, at the maybe time. Maybe in 1985, yeah. yeah. Okay, fair. <laughs> Still, though. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. There's a lot of things you can waste college money on. Well, he told her that they would pay for the schooling give her an $800 a month stipend and pay for childcare. Then they would assist her in getting a job after she graduated. It was an opportunity that sounded too good to be it true. It sounds so good. Yeah. And there was a very good reason for that, because it was. Well, yeah, it was this way is where, too good to be true. This is where dipshit enters the scene, That's where it? the ugly darkness comes in. Lisa and Tiffany stayed with her sister-in-law, Kathy, in Overland Park for a few days before John Osborne picked them up on January 9th. Despite Kathy and her husband, David, feeling something was off about the opportunity, they helped her load her luggage into John's car and wished her luck. John checked her into a room at the Overland Park Roadway Inn and spent the following day discussing the young woman's life with her. Yikes. This is where he gathered as many details as he could about Lisa. Things that had happened in her past, the situation with her family, her short marriage, even her financial situation. The evening after Lisa left with John, she made a frantic call to her mother-in-law, Betty, and asked her why she was trying to get custody of Tiffany. Betty stated she was doing no such thing, but Lisa said she saw a signed affidavit that showed she was. Then she told Betty that she had signed multiple blank sheets of paper, which were taken by, quote-unquote, them. A.K.A. the scum. She didn't clarify who them were, and suddenly she said... It's a scum. Yep, they're here, I can't talk, and then she hung up the phone. Shit. That was the last time anybody in Lisa's family ever heard from her. Lisa checked out of the motel the following morning and disappeared the same day. Feral hamster. (laughs) (laughs) Lisa's in-laws called the hotel and found out that she was already gone. When they asked who paid for the room, they were told that a credit card for a business called Equi was used. (laughs) A business. Uh It's a very businessy business. And the name on the card was John Robinson. Mm. Lisa's brother-in-law, David, went to the Equi office and demanded to know where Lisa and Tiffany were. I would love to see what the Equi office Equi looks office. Like. Yeah, welcome to the Equi offices. Oh, uh, yeah, this is a truck stop bathroom. Yeah, it's my office, too. Here's my card. He said an unknown man forced him out of the office. A few hours later, Kathy and David found a message on their answering machine from someone claiming to be Father Martin from the City Union Mission. He said that Lisa and Tiffany were fine and gave his phone number. Unsurprisingly, that phone number didn't work, and when they called the City Union Mission, they were told nobody had any idea who Father Martin was. 
The following day, Betty got a letter in the mail that was typed, but had Lisa's signature on the bottom. Well, it must be her then. It said she had left Kansas City because she needed to start over somewhere else. That sounds like a blues song, too. She thanked her for everything, but claimed she would write Carl and let him know how to get in touch with her. But Betty was not fooled. She knew that Lisa wasn't good on a typewriter uh-huh. and would have opted to handwrite the letter. The tone didn't sound like Lisa at all, and she also remembered that Lisa told her that she had signed blank pieces of paper for, quote-unquote, them. The scum. Yeah. All of this information was relayed to the police, who now needed to question John Robinson. Yes, they did. At the Overland Park Police Department, Detective Larry Dixon was looking into the disappearance of Lisa and Tiffany Stacy, but he couldn't find any illegal activity. When an adult goes missing, it's not illegal, so the investigation stalls until something comes up. He had interviewed John, who said that Lisa had been there, but she met a man named Bill, and they decided to run off together and start a new life. There wasn't much else authorities could do, but the situation still bothered Detective Dixon because this was very similar to another missing persons case. A few months earlier, they had gotten a call from a man named Bill Godfrey who was reporting his daughter Paula missing. Hmm. Paula Godfrey was born June 19, 1965 in Olathe, Kansas, just outside Kansas City. She began taking ice skating at the age of five and dreamt of becoming a professional figure skater. After graduating high school, She tried out for a spot on the Walt Disney World on Ice show, but she was sick the day of the tryouts, which affected her performance, so she didn't get the spot. Fucking excuses. (laughs) Michael Jackson's hair was on fire, and he finished the Pepsi commercial. Not one to be discouraged. She intended to practice and then try out the following year, and in the meantime, she would find a job close to home. Paula responded to an ad in the classifieds, for a secretarial position at a company called Equi. Equi. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking a company. Uh, so her father was out of town at the time that she had the interview, but she came home and she told her mother that she had gotten the job. She said that her new boss, John Robinson, had explained that he would be flying her and a few other new employees to San Antonio for a course on clerical skills. Mm. On September 1st, mm. 1984, John arrived at the Godfrey house and picked up Paula, claiming to be taking her to the airport. Her family never saw her again. After having not heard from Paula in four days, her father Bill flew out to San Antonio to check on her. He discovered that she had never checked into the hotel she was supposed to be staying at. Mm. When he got back home, he reported Paula missing and then went to the Equi office to confront John. Which I imagine is just a strip mall. Fucking, it's like a a back door in a strip mall. So Bill showed up. It's really not an office space. Bill showed up and told him he'd better hear from his daughter within the next few days. No, it's too late. So it was like an or else threat. Mm. So there was somebody there. Yeah. Now, welcome to Equi. We professionally service your business. Yeah, dude, this is the dump. Coincidentally, a few days later, they got a letter from Paula saying she needed some time away from her family. <laughs> the letter was short and handwritten. New twist. But it didn't sound like their daughter. Paula had a wonderful relationship with her family, and since they were all very close, her family didn't believe the letter, and they reported it to the police. Hmm. However, the next day they received another letter from Paula explaining that she was okay and that she just didn't want to see her family. (laughs) Since Paula was an adult, again, no one was able to do anything. The Godfrey family knew the letters were complete bullshit. No trace of Godfrey has ever been found. Jeez. In 1987, Robert Bales called the Overland Police Department to report his adopted sister missing. 
27-year-old Catherine Clampett was born in Korea on May 29, 1960, and traveled to the U.S. when she was a child after being adopted by a family in Wichita Falls, Texas. As she grew up, she started partying and got involved in drugs and alcohol. That happens. In an effort to clean up her life, she moved to Overland Park, where she lived with her brother Robert Bales and his wife. She had a one-year-old son who stayed in Texas with her adopted parents. Once at her brother's house, she started looking for a job and soon was hired as an administrative assistant for a company called Equi2. God damn it. <laughs> oh. See, her, well, they want to see our resumes. We want to see mm-hmm. their resumes, too. Everyone's resumes should be available right. for everyone. Her boss, John Dawson, explained that she would have to fly around the country for him, and the position came with a brand new wardrobe. A few months after Catherine left with John, she was never seen again. Soon, her mother in Texas got a typed letter that was signed by Catherine, but it didn't sound like her at all. Huh, seeing a pattern here. Definitely. Robert called her office and asked for John Dawson, but was told that nobody worked there by that name. He then looked into one of the hotels where she had stayed and asked them who paid for her room. He was told the room was paid for with a company card from Equitu. Professional services. And the name on the card was... The Feral Hempster Man of Kansas. John Robinson. Robinson, yeah. Robert went to the company address and found that it had been closed. Of course it was, because business and companies. Yep. It's the, the dis- hard, and that's not real. The disappearances of Lisa and Tiffany Stacy, Paula Godfrey, and Catherine Clampett would eventually all go cold, sadly. Yeah. The previous years of criminal activity had finally come back to bite John in the ass. Thank goodness. Yeah, fuck. Multiple investigations in both Kansas and Missouri were filing charges against him. He had scammed multiple individuals and businesses out of money and was found guilty of multiple counts of fraud. The prosecutor asked the judge to sentence John as a habitual offender, and the judge agreed. John was finally given a more substantial sentence of 5 to 19 years in prison. All right. At this time, Nancy, his wife, found a job as a nurse and sold their house, moving the family into a smaller apartment. Damn. <laughs> Their two older kids were out of the house, but they had 16-year-old twins that were still at home. John entered prison in Kansas in May of 1986 and was paroled in January of 1991. Then he was sent to Missouri to complete his sentence there. Think how weird those conversations would be in the house <clears throat> for those two kids. Oh, I know. Like, why are we still in the house, Mommy? Yeah. Well, uh, Dad's in prison. Your dad, not only is he in prison... Mm-hmm. He's in prison for some wacky shit. <laughs> you know those Roadrunner cartoons with the coyote? That's your dad. Huh? Except the Roadrunner is anyone, and the Acme supplies represent various forms of fraud. As soon as he made it into prison in Missouri, he began campaigning for early parole. He had had a number of strokes while in prison in Kansas and was claiming that he should be released for health reasons. Mm. He was able to con, get this, he was able to con multiple doctors into writing the parole board and recommending his release. One doctor even claiming it was a life or death emergency that he be released immediately. That's crazy. Seriously. I mean, what type of convincing can this guy do? Multiple physicians. The parole board thankfully didn't buy it. Thank goodness. But you know what? They probably didn't. That's weird though to deny doctors that are doctors. I know, but they didn't talk to John directly. Thank goodness they didn't talk to him. Didn't get the little dust in it. Yeah. He's got something. (laughs) 
It's got some sort <laughs> the of... The hamster wizard. Yeah. The parole board, thankfully, they didn't bite. hamster of Kansas. He was transferred to a different prison in 1992 and was finally released in the spring of 1993. Before he was released, he had begun having an affair with a prison librarian... What? A woman named Beverly Bonner. She got dusted, too. <laughs> I know. She got the feral hamster of Kansas dust. So the prison librarian's having an affair with an inmate. Her name is Beverly Bonner. So remember that name. Okay. After John was released, he moved back in with his wife, Nancy, who was now living in a small mobile home. Beverly divorced her husband, Beverly Bonner, divorced her husband and was paid an $18,000 settlement for the house that they own together, as well as $1,000 a month in alimony. After the divorce was final, she was never seen again. Nobody reported her missing, and all the focus on John for all of the other disappearances had just faded away. That's not how that's supposed to be. On March 25, 2000, Don Troughton called the Overland Park Police to report her sister missing. Suzette Troughton was born on April 13, 1972 in Monroe, Michigan, just south of Detroit. Her parents divorced when she was 11 and it had a lasting effect on her, causing her to suffer from depression. After high school, a bad breakup caused her depression to worsen and she ended up shooting herself in the stomach. After being rushed to the hospital, she survived the ordeal and seemed to be able to turn her life around. She began working as a nursing assistant while going to school to become a registered nurse. At the same time, though, to blow off steam from the stress of her work and schooling, she started frequenting chat rooms where people would discuss BDSM. Ah. Now that stands for, in case you don't know, because I didn't, bondage, discipline or domination, sadism or submission, and masochism. masochism. She enjoyed being a submissive person in a relationship and used the chat room to find a dominant partner. That's just rolling the bones, or rolling the boners, if you will. Ew. In early 1999, Suzette met a man online who called himself JR. I smell hamster. In case it wasn't obvious enough, JR hamster man. was John Robinson. Yeah, of course he was. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. And when he. <laughs> and when he learned more about Suzette's life, he started telling her that he was a wealthy businessman and he needed a nurse to help take care of his diabetic father while he was on a round-the-world sailing trip. When you hear the, I'm a wealthy this and that, (laughs) that's a red flag. Mm -hmm. So besides being the feral hamster of Kansas by night, his Bruce Wayne equivalent was, you know, J.R. the douche canoe. In reality, John's father died when he was in prison in 1989. After also being a douche canoe. So John told Suzette the job paid $65,000 a year, which is over $112,000 in today's money. Mm-hmm. And when you wake up tomorrow, it'll be worth over 200000 because we continually hire the people that broke the thing to fix it. And it also came with an apartment and a car, Damn. not to mention an all-expenses-paid trip around the world. That's too good to be true. Right, it's just getting bigger and bigger. So Suzette wanted to come to Kansas and meet his father before she agreed to take the job. Finally, there's a skeptic. With good girl. And John agreed. Wiley Coyote time. Okay, so he hired a limousine to pick her up at the airport showed her a giant mansion that he claimed was his, and then took her to meet his quote-unquote father. He had actually gotten people to pretend to be his father, his wife, and a number of other nurses that worked for him. Of course, those other nurses had nothing but glowing reviews about working for John. 
scummy fucking, fucking assholes that they what? knew what was going on. I mean, they, if, even if they, they they obviously didn't know to the level that he was going at. Hopefully, hopefully, but, you know, I don't think so. Like, They're I'm probably just trick like this girl into liking me at I the very least know. is like, or in, I mean, what the hell are they trying to do? So Ew, oh. Suzette was impressed, and after going home to gather her belongings, she returned to Kansas City to become John's new employee. So she took the job. When she returned, she had brought her two treasured Pekingese dogs with her. Ooh. But a few days later, the dogs were found running loose, and Suzette was Ooh. nowhere to be found. Oh. Right. Fuck. Soon, Suzette's family began receiving emails explaining that she would be leaving on her sailing trip and wouldn't have internet access for some time. Her mother, Carolyn, immediately knew it wasn't her daughter. But then she got a call from John telling her that Suzette had run off with some guy she met named Jim Turner and abandoned her job. Mm. He also accused Suzette of stealing from him and asked her mother to call him if she heard from her daughter. Red flag. At that point, Carolyn knew something was wrong yeah. and had one of her daughters call the police. Nice yeah. try, dipshit. As soon as the police were informed that her boss was John Robinson, they knew that they had heard that name before. When police dug into John's background, they found the missing persons reports from 15 years earlier and called in all the retired detectives that had worked on those cases, as well as his parole officers. They combined everything they knew to try and find if any of the victims were still alive. Mm. They believed that the most likely victim to still be alive would be Tiffany who would be about 15 years old by then. Oh, yeah. After going over John's history, they believe that John was absolutely capable of a baby-selling scam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> Why not? With John Robinson being the last person that saw four missing women, the police had enough probable cause to put him under surveillance. Fuck yeah. After a few weeks, they saw that he was living a double life, Amsterdam. being a suburban family man at home. JR. Then during the day, hanging out downtown with sketchy characters, meeting women at hotels. Douchey hamster Kansas. Then going back home and being a family man again. So many people in this world of serial killers God, are like that. Yeah. It's very strange. So they got warrants to tap his phone and they subpoenaed his internet records. They discovered that John was finding women online that wanted a dominant partner, and he would entice them to come to town with an offer of a job. I want to say weird flex, but that probably makes sense. When they arrived, he would begin acting as their master and carry out BDSM sessions at the local hotel. Why, that's what hotels are for. Make sure you steal the towel. By the way, this is another one, just like, the Catholic Church was like, no, yeah. this guy doesn't represent us. The BDSM people are like, no, no, no. no, no. It's very, I mean, it's, it doesn't look innocent, but it's very innocent. It's all fucking consensual. God right. damn it. Leave us alone. People need a hashtag not The all. good news was that not all these women would end up disappearing. So that's good. Yeah. During the investigation, detectives identified 17 aliases that John had used at various times over the years. One of the women named Brenda came to town to work for a man named James Turner, and they ended up meeting at a hotel for a BDSM session. And they stole towels. In the room, they got into an argument and the man struck her harder than he was supposed to. She got up and left and on her way out, she asked a receptionist who had rented the room and they said it was John Robinson. Hmm. She took that information to the police and filed a complaint of sexual battery. Then, a few days later, another woman filed a complaint for sexual battery, but this time, there was also robbery. Her story was almost identical to Brenda's story, and again, the man who paid for the room was John 
Robinson. The fucking genius. You know, we were giving him a high score for Criminal Mind. We may want to address that before <laughs> we, we get back to these people. Because he does seem like a dumb fuck, too. Like, right. I'm going to commit these crimes. and I'm gonna Maybe he was just incredibly lucky. It does seem like he was lucky. Yeah. Like fucking. Right. Hmm. But also, chance favors the preparation of a goof troop. Hmm. George Washington said that. On June 1st, Suzette's family received letters that looked to have been written on a computer and then printed with Suzette's signature at the bottom. They were postmarked in Mexico, and right. authorities would later learn that John had given the letters to the mother of an acquaintance who was visiting from Mexico. <laughs> to mail them? Right. He asked her to <laughs> mail them when she returned home, Holy and shit. she agreed to do it. Holy shit. The letter claimed that Suzette was... Mastermind. Ha- yep. The letter claimed that Suzette was happy and had quit smoking. Good for her. Okay. It was also said that her two Pekingese dogs loved being on the boat. Oh, right. They're at the pound. Yeah. Loving that boat. The family knew that this was not true because Barrow by now, of Kansas. they knew that her dogs had been found and had been taken to an animal shelter in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I did look this up. Uh, the two dogs were split up, oh. but they were both adopted by new owners. Yay. So the dogs are good. That's yes. fine. That's good. With the arrival Maybe of, they can write each other. <laughs> with the arrival of these letters, along with the complaints of sexual battery and theft, the district attorney filed an arrest warrant for John Robinson. Feral hamster of Kansas, you're going down. Police surrounded John's trailer on the morning of June 2nd, 2000. He was arrested without incident, and at first, Nancy had no idea because she was in the office of the trailer park where she worked as the manager. Mm. A neighbor had to walk over there and tell her what was going on. Mm. Crime scene technicians searched the home from top to bottom. They removed multiple computers, a couple of fax machines, and boxes of other items. Gross hamster. They also towed John's vehicle. From his businesses. Amongst the documents, they found that John had two rental storage units, one rented in his name and then one rented in Nancy's name, though there's never been any evidence that Nancy knew the extent of what her husband was doing. Mm. They also discovered that John owned a farm property in Lassen, about an hour south of where he lived. Authorities got warrants to search the storage units and farm, and they went to the closer of the two storage facilities first. Multiple storage facility hamster. Sorry. At Needmore Storage, less than two miles from the Robinson trailer, inside Unit B-18, detectives found a leather briefcase that contained Suzette Truton's social security card, birth certificate, and passport application. They also found a two-page slave contract that was signed by her agreeing to have John be her slave master. He also owned two souls. In a plastic bin, they found a college ID for another woman, but this name they'd never heard of, Isabella Luica. Okay. So a brand new person. Right. They also found more blank sheets of paper with both Suzette and Isabella's signatures on them. Don't sign blank sheets of paper. Yeah. If you can. Yeah, and don't ever. Ever I don't know why they would anyways. Yeah. So the envelopes had already been filled out to their family members' addresses. They now had even more circumstantial evidence that John was involved in the disappearances of multiple women. Right. But they still had no idea where he had disposed of the bodies or evidence that these women were even dead. But they know he's got a farm. Right. So at this point, John was only charged with two counts of sexual battery and one count of theft. But his bail was far more than he could afford. Thank goodness. Good, yeah. He refused to talk to detectives, so he sat in jail awaiting the additional charges that were inevitably coming. Oh, yeah. 
Nancy was questioned by detectives, and she told them that she suspected John was having an affair. <laughs> but she had no idea what was really going on. This poor woman. Yeah. After she was released, she went into hiding and never returned to the trailer home. But the trailer home followed her around because it was sad. It was like, come back, I'll be a friend. The next morning, no? authorities Nothing? went okay. to the 16-acre farm and began searching every inch. Hmm. There was a trailer home on the property, but nothing was inside of it. Me too, trailer home. Me too. There was also a tool shed that didn't contain anything of value either. Now you made the lawnmower feel bad. Next to the shed, though. That's how a lot of bad stories start. They found a number of barrels. Uh, Some smaller. (laughs) (laughs) Some smaller, but there were two 88-gallon hazmat barrels. When they started moving one of the barrels, they could see what looked like blood seeping out of it. Mm-hmm. They pried off the top, and inside was the body of Suzette Troughton. Son of a bitch. The other barrel contained a body, but they didn't immediately know who it was. After an autopsy, that body was identified as Isabella Luica. Yeah. Now we're wondering what sort of dark, wily coyote shit got Isabella there. Isabella was born in 1978 in Poland, where her parents both worked as scientists. Insert Polish joke here. They emigrated to the United States in 1993 and settled in West Lafayette, Indiana. Isabella was 15 years old when they moved, and she didn't know any English, but she took lessons from a neighbor and quickly found her place within a group of artists at her high school. It was a screamo death metal band. JK, sorry. After graduating, she wanted to become a fashion designer and began attending Purdue University's School of Liberal Arts. She was outgoing when it came to art, but very shy personally. Oh, she's half the people I know, and myself included. She began exploring the internet and became interested in the BDSM community. Roll on the boners. This is where she met John Robinson. Soon... Isabella quit school and suddenly moved to Kansas City. John would later claim that he didn't ask the young woman to move. She had done it to surprise him, and he initially asked her to go back to Indiana. Yeah, you doing spontaneous, independent thinking shit is not how this works. He said when he first saw her dressed all in black with piercings, he was embarrassed and did not want to continue. But she begged him to stay, and eventually the two started a relationship. Isabella got an apartment and she began doing layout work for a magazine that John had started about the trailer home life. Well, he is a businessman after all. A few months after she arrived, records show that she and John went to the Johnson County Courthouse Mm -hmm. and applied for a marriage license. Okay. John had already been married for 32 years, so he gave his name with a different middle name. That's all it takes. I mean, John Robinson's pretty pretty basic. Mm Mm-hmm. Isabella also claimed to be in her 30s, but records show that nobody ever returned to pick up the license, though. And in the fall of 1999, Isabella disappeared. Of course she did. Yeah. Her parents, guess what? There's a recognizable pattern by the feral hamster of Kansas. Her parents received an occasional letter signed by yeah. Isabella, of type, course, type, type, type. <laughs> describing how signed. she was traveling around the world and they didn't question it. Shit. At the time when John was asked what happened to her, he claimed that she was arrested for drugs and was deported back to Poland. However, an autopsy revealed that both women died from blunt force trauma to the head, most likely a ball-peen hammer. Fuck. Ugh. They had no defensive wounds, suggesting that they were attacked in their sleep or they were looking the other way. Coward. Authorities had to get a separate warrant for the second storage facility since it was in the city of Raymore in Missouri. As soon as they opened Unit E2, they saw three more barrels and they were pretty sure of what was inside. Mm -hmm. The barrels each contained a body. One belonged to Beverly Bonner, the prison librarian. 
She left the, her husband and everything. Right. So she's in a barrel now. Yeah. Yep. Uh, who police had recently con- connected to John, but the other two were more unknown women. Shit. They turned out to be Sheila Faith and her 15-year-old disabled daughter, Debbie. Hmm. They had all died from blunt force trauma to the head. Sheila Howell was born in 1948 in Dallas, Texas. Her parents divorced when she was five years old, and her mother took her and her brothers to live with their grandmother. Not long afterwards, Sheila's mother bailed, and the kids were then raised entirely by their grandmother. This parental abandonment most likely drove Sheila's need for love, and when she met John Faith in the late 70s, they married quickly. Debbie was born in 1979, and she was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. And even though the family struggled financially, Debbie grew up to have an outgoing personality that made her popular in school. In 1991, John Faith died of cancer, and Sheila had to go on welfare, barely making enough to survive. Debbie's condition was getting worse, and there wasn't enough time to take care of her and have a job. Sheila had also become increasingly lonely and had taken to the internet to find someone that could rescue her from a life of poverty. That's another form of rolling the boners. After a few failed attempts at relationships with other men, Sheila met John Robinson in a chat room in 1994. Oh, those 90s chat rooms. John spent time romancing Sheila online before moving to the telephone. He found out about her husband's death and her daughter's disability, specifically about how much in social security she got each month. (sighs) It wasn't long before he offered to move them to Kansas City where he would help Sheila find a job and help Debbie with her medical needs. And help them spend the money that the government's giving them. Like he had done so many times before. John arrived at where Sheila and Debbie were staying and picked them up to take them to Kansas City. (laughs) He loaded the women and their luggage in the van and drove away and they were never seen again. Right. Of course not. Of course, Sheila's brother began receiving... Type, 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 type. (laughs) Type letters with Sheila's signature at the bottom telling him that they were doing well and were happy. And he was suspicious, so he called the social security... These never work, but he still... Uh, He keeps doing it. Makes people suspicious. Yes. Uh, so he called. <laughs> it's, it's almost like he just send him a letter, but have it pieced together from parts of <laughs> articles and stuff. It won't be creepy at all. They'll never suspect a thing, and then you sign it in blood, and it'll be like the perfect fucking. <laughs> so he called the Social Security office and asked where their checks were being sent, but they told him they couldn't give out that information. Of course. The Social Security Administration would later disclose that they had received a letter from a Dr. William Bonner Hmm? claiming that Debbie was completely disabled and needed full-time care for the rest of her life. That would raise the amount of benefits she was receiving. Yeah, by the way, Dr. William Bonner, does that sound familiar? He's not my doctor, is he? So Dr. Bonner, yeah, that's Beverly's ex-husband. The librarian. Beverly Bonner, the librarian lady, yeah. Jeez. The prison librarian who divorced her husband to be with John. So, so, they, so she she died because of that, and she's in a barrel, right? So, and he used John her used her contact uh-huh. to reach out to her ex husband. Actually, he didn't reach out; he just forged shit, forged shit with her ex husband's uh, name on he it. Found stuff, yeah, and it came out in court. So, Doctor Bonner said <laughs> he had never seen Debbie, let alone sent a letter to the Social Security Administration turned out that the social security checks were being sent to the same P.O. box where Beverly's alimony checks were being sent. Wow. He was still collecting her alimony, even wow. though she's dead in a barrel. Wow. Okay, so... Well, now, that's a good income. 
The yeah. guy's figured out a good little business for himself. So now, we three. Bitch, now, <laughs> so sorry. back to the farm. <laughs> I keep, you're like, so now, uh, so now, uh, so now. And so, I'm like, we three. I've got another thing. Hamster. There's you more stuff. Good. My job is to interrupt. God. Here we go. Now, back to the farm. Yeah, Investigators searched everywhere. They dug in various areas, including under the trailer. They even, it's really hard for me to read this script. I've got a big <laughs> shit-eating grin on my face because my husband is hilarious and I'm talking about looking for buried bodies. Right, okay. Okay, so they... Serious in nature, This the subject matter right. we were discussing. They even drained a pond oh. on the property, but they didn't find any more bodies. Oh, oh. John had also assisted in the purchase of a home in Florida for his son. And though it had since been sold, investigators searched the property as well. And they found 85 more bodies. And they found nothing. Oh, they didn't. They didn't find anything, huh? Well, good. On June 13th, John was charged with five counts of first-degree murder. Between Kansas and Missouri, he would be tried for each murder in the state the bodies were found. Mm. And both states expressed that they would be seeking the death penalty. Fair. It wasn't long before the prosecutor in Kansas also added a murder charge for Lisa Stacy, despite the body having never been found. On October 7th, 2002, John Robinson went to trial in Kansas for the murder of Lisa Stacy, Suzette Troughton, and Isabella Luica. He pled not guilty and was easily found guilty on all three counts. I right. mean, the evidence was just overwhelming. Sure. John was sentenced to life in prison for the murder of Lisa and death for the murders of both Suzette and Isabella. So you'd in, think he'd be dead by now. In Missouri, the prosecutor offered to not seek the death penalty if John confessed to the murders of Paula Godfrey and Catherine Clampett. Mm. John agreed, and he acknowledged that he was involved in their deaths, but he wouldn't tell anyone where the bodies were located. Mm. He pleaded guilty to five counts of first-degree murder and was sentenced to five life sentences without the possibility of parole. These sentences would only be served if he somehow made it out of prison in Kansas, which is unlikely. Good. The Kansas City Supreme Court did vacate two of his convictions, the murders of Lisa Stacy and Suzette Troughton, based on technicalities, but I couldn't find any explanation of what that meant. So Hamster dust. I, I don't think they were upheld anymore. I'm not sure. Hmm. But okay. yeah, so technicalities made them throw it out, it sounds like. Damn. They did uphold what the his fuck? they did uphold his murder conviction of Isabella Lewicka and its accompanying death sentence. So that meant that stayed. Well you can only kill him once. He remains on death row awaiting execution. He is seventy eight years old. Yeah. The bodies of Lisa Stacy, Paula Godfrey, and Catherine Clampett have never been recovered. Mm. And there are most likely more victims that yeah. we will never even know about. That's right. So right about now. Who knows what the ratio is of how many right. he got charged for to how many. I mean, he's, right. he had a whole fucking long life of this shit. Well, right about now, you're probably wondering about what happened to Tiffany Stacy, the four-month-old infant that disappeared with her mother, Lisa. Okay. I know that I was. Yeah. So during the investigation into John Robinson, his brother, Donald, he came forward to tell authorities that he believed he may have adopted Tiffany. Oh, God. What? I know, right? So in 1985, Donald and his wife were having trouble conceiving. So they mentioned to John that they were going to adopt. Here he comes to Farah. Right. So immediately, John stepped in and offered his help. He claimed that he knew people and could help them out with the adoption. 
John was such a fucking scam artist. He immediately jumped into the opportunity because he believed he could make a few bucks. Fuck. He Isn't that off insane? His, off scamming his brother. Yeah, all he needed was a young woman and a newborn. I know he's a ghoul, but that sounds so weird. It sounds like he's trying to get all the Smurf berries. Come here, Asriel. I just need a woman and a baby. And the Smurf berries will be us. I'm sorry about that. He began calling hospitals, claiming that he had just started an outreach program aimed at helping struggling young mothers. This had eventually led him to the Hope House and Lisa Stacy. Mm. Remember that call that she got that mm. said, yeah. So he got her to a hotel room where he made her sign adoption documents and blank pieces of paper. When she called her Betty, her mother-in-law, it was true. He made it sound like Betty was trying to take away her daughter. Right. So then he killed her and he dumped her body the following day. He delivered Tiffany to his brother and sister-in-law and collected $5,000 in adoption fees. What year was this? Uh, 1985. Oh, that's a hefty sum. Yeah, they raised her as their legally adopted daughter. The entire time, though, they had no idea that the adoption wasn't legal. Fuck. Right. So as some of the paperwork had judges' signatures on it, but they were all forged by John. This poor kid. Yeah. So he murdered a young woman so he could scam money from his own brother. Dude, what a terror. What an awful human. It's one thing to find out. It's like, hey, you're adopted. Yeah. It's like, okay, we love you. Right. Good. Yay. But then when you find out you're adopted under circumstances that are like, you know, murders and mm -hmm. weird things, it's like, holy shit. Yeah. This is just like fucking, he did that for money and he scammed. It's a very complicated thing if you're that kid and I feel bad for that. The victims of this guy are numerous. Yeah. And it's just waves of victims wherever he went. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the families started, the families started putting stuff together. And so, you know, they're, they're, they know that like Donald, his brother, he knows his brother is being uh, on trial for this shit. Right. And the wife, Donald's wife is putting this all together that this woman went missing and then there's a missing baby and the baby was the same age. The thing is, they saw a picture of the baby out of the mother's wallet, mm -hmm. Lisa's wallet. That picture that was in the wallet is the picture of their daughter that John gave them. Oh, Christ. Right. So it's identical. It's the same photo. And when, so they know for sure then. And when Tiffany saw that, they put it all, they were putting it all together. Could you imagine her watching TV with her parents and seeing Uncle John on TV and with his victims and shit and then seeing your own baby picture? Insane. It was just, it was just dumb. So yeah. And free therapy for life, say at the world. But her name is now Heather and she was 15 <sighs> years old at the time of the discovery. Well, at least that's not a volatile time in a young lady's life. She chose to stay with her adoptive parents though. They were good, loving parents, good. and they were also victims of John Robinson. Yeah. Her biological father, Carl Stacy, asked for permission to meet her, and he said that he had no problem with her remaining with her adoptive parents and would not try to get custody at all. Nice. He just wanted to be able to get to know his daughter, and he was ultimately just happy to know that she turned up alive. Yeah. The one good piece of this wonderful news of out of the decades John of John Robinson yeah. created, yeah. So there is an excerpt that I put in right before we walked into Because there's an update. Yes. Well, there's a lot of updates, but this one is the most recent. So okay. March of 2022, and I'm just going to read the news article. This okay. is insane. Convicted serial killer John E. Robbins Sr. returned to a Johnson County courtroom this week as part of his years-long fight to overturn his conviction and death sentence. 
Robinson, 78, has argued that he did not receive effective legal counsel during his historic 2002 trial (laughs) and that his his death sentence violated the Kansas and U.S. constitutions. Mm. Evidentiary hearings in Robinson's appeal began in February of this year in Johnson's County District Court and continued throughout this week, which was in March, uh, court records show. Days-long sessions are scheduled to continue in the first week of each month through June, meaning it's still going on right now. Mm. Robinson has pursued a series of appeals in the years since, but in late 2015, the Kansas Supreme Court upheld his death sentence, even as it dismissed two of his convictions. So, well, let's get this thing going. Let's yeah, get him right. to, before he just, you know. So the latest appeal filed as a civil lawsuit in late 2016 in Johnson's County, seeks to win Robinson a new trial. No. Or at least the minimum throw out his remaining capital murder conviction and vacate his death sentence. Damn. What the fuck? He can't be allowed out. No. No. Bad ideas. Bad, yeah. Good idea to write a letter and say no. No to that. Right, it's time to conclude this show. That, that's the story. Yep. That's what a terrible, story. terrible dipshit. Yeah. That fits the dipshit files. It was so ugly researching and digging. I found a bunch. Of, I put in all the pertinent information that I could find. Mm-hmm. And as and, always, a lot of it didn't make it in. Well, a lot of the BDSM stuff. So <laughs> as a, just because I'm not real big on writing about that stuff. But Fair. as a side note. No um, kink shaming, but you know. Well, no, maybe it's just not my thing, no. but I, I couldn't imagine. But anyways, um, the thing that uh, didn't make it in was he was under surveillance when he was meeting with these women and taking them to hotels. They had him bugged mm. and shit. No. So these police officers were sitting out there listening to these BDSM sessions, mm. confused as to what is safe what's and what's far. not exactly. So that would have been hard to figure out. Yeah, there's, so there's, there's always a veteran cop that's like, okay, no, no, not not yet. That's no, the that's, safe word. No, she's liking that. He's like, they're liking that. But there's a safe word twice. Yeah, and it's time to go in. I guess none of that happened. Well, now let's find out how, how dangerous this guy is yeah. as far as our danger meter for mm-hmm. the dipshit meter. So how dangerous is this dipshit? All right, so John E. Robinson on our danger scale is actually pretty high. Hmm. I'll tell you right now before we get to the actual number, he's in the threes, mm-hmm. which is where it's not good. I mean, yeah. you're, you're a very dangerous human being when you're in the threes. Uh, but he's as high as Linda Hazard, Ed Kemper. He's a pretty spooky dude. Yeah. But here's, let's talk about brutality first. I'm a big dumb cunt. So a 3.0 for brutality mm-hmm. is what he gave him. Yeah. And I mean, he used a hammer, right? Right. Well, he, he didn't We get... know for sure at least a couple times with a hammer. Well, they all the women that he, they found, all the bodies were all bludgeoned. Right. Uh, with head trauma. So they're assuming it And was... they're assuming that it looked like a ball peen hammer is what it looked like he used on them all and uh the thing that the reason he didn't get a higher brutality score is because it also showed there were they didn't find any defensive wounds which means the women didn't see it coming they were either doing it he did it when they were sleeping or when they weren't looking so it's not like they were struck with fear prior to being struck with a hammer um, who knows how many times he had to hit them to kill them, though. Right. So, yeah. that's, you know. Still, fuck. Yeah. What, imagining that is terrible. Yeah. Now, let's look at his cruelty. Did the dipshit enjoy the hurting? So, for cruelty, he got a 3.75. Yeah. And he was cruel mm-hmm. in, in the sense that he, he was cruel in a bunch of different ways. But his violence, his, his 
He didn't torture people. Right. He played mind games. Yeah, which is fucking cruel to me. That's why he's personally. got a high. He's got a three point seven five. Yeah. And it's for the mind stuff and the way he ruined lives everywhere yeah. he went. And, I mean, and benefited on it on purpose. It was all. It wasn't like oh, I accidentally ruined these people's no, lives. No, it I didn't was think com- about that. Completely intentional. Yeah. Yeah. But he's I mean, not his, a four because he's not right. chopping at people. And stuff, right. Yeah. Exactly. All right, now let's talk about Criminal Mind. Did this dipshit have any meat in his cranial sack? And so we did give him a 5.0. Yes, yes we did. Even though he's a dumb fuck, too. But he's not a dumb fuck. He's not. When it comes to being a criminal. You know, it's kind of, I don't know. He had so many plans and so many schemes and Mm -hmm. and fraud. Feral hamster offenses. It was just insane. Securities fraud all the way to serial killing. I mean, the guy was... Diversified. He had his stories, and so he because did. of that, and people couldn't put the stories together. Farewell, I mean, hamster of Kenzo. <laughs> he even gave letters to a woman to take back to Mexico with her to mail for him. I feel like that was just lucky. He's he, like, oh, this is perfect. Yay! Uh, well, I'm but sure it, I'm sure it fuck. was, but he yeah. thought about that. Yeah, he did. You know, so it's, it's just... A, I mean, is, is he a 5.0? Like, he's going to... His, he he was dangerous. That's why I find yes. right now is because he was constantly trying to come up with ways to fuck people. He consistently and they were wily coyote as fuck. Yeah, and he consistently got away with it. Yeah, I mean he must have a silver tongue. He must because he convinced everyone doctors and shit and yeah, yeah all sorts of crazy it stuff. It's insane. But all right, well now let's look at his depravity. How depraved was the dipshit? For depravity, at least he wasn't super depraved. No, we give him a two point five, uh, but he. He wasn't the kind of guy that eats people and no. he, he doesn't jerk off on the bodies. No. As far as we know, there's yeah, no well, evidence of that. Right. No, he just beat him in the head with a hammer, mm-hmm. made a huge ass mess. He did keep somewhere them and then put them in barrels yeah. and dumped other ones on the I I'm assuming on the side of the road or, you know, right. somewhere the bodies were dumped. Well they weren't on the farm. So he killed them and had to handle them to dispose of them. Mm-hmm. So, so two point five, do you think that's fair for depravity? Why would you say two point five? Well, because he didn't do all the other things that other serial killers do. Right. Once they were dead, they were no good to him anymore. He wasn't interested in the dead body. He wanted their money. Right. Is That's, it too high? Is the number too high? It it might be. Maybe. I yeah. What did what did we give him? Two point five. Yeah, I almost want to drop it to a two point two five. All right, and that leads us to our last number on the dipshit meter for the danger meter is the body count, the social threat. Mm. This noise is fucking awful. Ah. And so we gave him a two point five because there's a technical scale for the social threat, and mm-hmm. that's right there. He was responsible eight. for eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that sets that we, you right at two point five. That, that we, we know, know of. of. Right. <laughs> we could give him an estimation of more. But yeah. that's really the high number that is Right. No point. evidence pointed to anyone else. Right. But it doesn't mean that he didn't get rid of that stuff. Right. So everything would be guessing from there. Yeah. So there we go. So overall, he got a 3.3, 3, which puts him in the in the realm of Ed Kemper, who's a 3.35, mm-hmm. uh, and Linda Hazard, who poisoned hundreds of people, yeah. 3.4. Yeah. Joseph Fritzl was a 2.85. Jo- John E. Robinson sits right in the middle there with 3.3. Yeah. 3. And so out of the 11 serial killers that we've looked at, he is uh, the seventh highest. Mm-hmm. So he's yeah. yeah, he's pretty dangerous motherfucker. And we've picked quite a few dangerous ones. Yeah. So just in case you wanted to know. Now let's look at his notoriety. Have you heard of this dipshit? So as you guys know, we do notoriety before the case mm-hmm. unfolds, after he's caught. Mm-hmm. And then we do the infamy, the overall knowing of this person. Right. You know, movies and that kind of stuff that happens. So notoriety before they're caught. 
we give him a 1.25 right. for this gentleman? Because nobody really, they knew he was a piece of shit yeah. for most of his life. Well, because he kept breaking the law. Right. But, but they didn't tie it together for no, a long time. They didn't make those connections. Yeah. It was difficult to finalize this whole process, too. Right. It must have been a frustrating case as a person that was investigating. Oh, man. And it crossed state lines, right. you know. Which, if you're a criminal, cross them state lines. <laughs> you'll fucking you'll just mesh everything up. Right. So, 1.25 before caught. After yeah. caught, big deal in Kansas. Mm-hmm. Big deal in Missouri. Yeah. Not a big deal in the country. No. We gave him a 2.75. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of generous because... He's really not well known, but Mm-mm. it did blow up in those areas because well, obviously, it was, yeah, it's going to be huge in those areas mm-hmm. because I mean, let's let's not be foolish. Very interesting case, mm-hmm. very twists and turns and weird mm-hmm. hidden shit. You know, it was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I know it was popular in that area. Um, great and popular in the terrible sense, of course. It, you know but what I mean? You, human beings, we love reveling in despair and destruction and terrible shit. <laughs> Anyway, but uh, all right. So and then the infamy mm-hmm. was the final bit. And who the fuck knows about this guy? Nobody. Right. Only serial killer people that are very interested in serial yeah, killers. Serial killer. What do they call Kansas. aficionados? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Murder porn followers. <laughs> you could put it that way. Yeah. I wouldn't want that read in court <laughs> about me. Right. I like the, the, the first one. But infamy, we gave a one point five, and that's probably generous too. Yeah. Uh, it's a. It's not a rel- It's not a new case, but it's relatively new mm-hmm. on, because it's well, still it, ongoing in court. Yeah. And it's still, you yeah. know, unsettled in some sense. Right. But it also spanned decades. Right. I mean, this guy just kept going and going and yeah. going. Nobody stopped him. His first first uh, victim was in 1985, and then he went to trial in 2002. <laughs> so, And we're still talking about him in 2020. Yeah, exactly. He's still, he's still in the news. Yep, yeah. he's still trying to con his way out of jail. Right. Currently. And I think one of the reasons that there's no infamy is because who would want to see this movie made? Like, this well, movie would right. suck to watch mm-hmm. i mean it's interesting mm-hmm. but the plot's terrible you can't <laughs> i mean you're not cheering for anybody there's no happy ending mm-hmm. for anyone well tiffany te- but that's still a terribly unhappy it, ending it's it's a happy, it's a happy way to end a fucking terrible story right okay i but i got you you know but again we like things that are terrible so it would probably be the best-selling movie of all time i don't well, know they Somebody's never gonna, nobody ever did it right well, it's still early. That I know of. Not it. There's still a hope for old <laughs> Johnny Robinson and his book deal. All right. So a 1.5 for infamy because who the fuck knows about him? Let's not make him famous. He's the feral hamster of Kansas. <laughs> and him and his hamster cheeks and tiny little can do. beady eyes. That's the best he'll ever be. Yep. And uh, fuck him. And he's a dipshit. Mm-hmm. Now let's finalize our thoughts with the conclusion. What do these dipshits think about today's dipshit? Eh? All right, a three point three. Do you feel like that was? Do you feel like that's fair? I mean, I, a three is a piece is one of the worst kinds of pieces of shit to right, become a three. Right. Uh, we only have one four, mm-hmm. and r- maybe two fours if you round to the nearest dipshit. Uh, mm-hmm. Pedro Lopez is a three nine five. Yeah. But so fours are for like the extreme extreme. Yeah. The threes are like the terrible. I mean, this is where all of the worst serial killers in history sit, or mm-hmm. somewhere in the threes. Mm-hmm. And there he is, right in the middle of the threes. Right. Okay, and well, he is. Well, he is a terrible, terrible human. He's a dipshit. He murdered uh, a mother and her disabled child for, for money. money. Yeah, and he it murdered, kept that going for a long time too. Yeah, he murdered a woman for her alimony. Uh, he murdered a woman to give a baby yeah. to his brother. Like yeah. that was probably he was thinking like I'm a good brother. He didn't. I, I know. 
what was going through well yeah, he wanted thing. five grand too but he's he's like i, I should still get some on the side well, i'm yeah, a good brother it, but i should still get some well on the side. of course plus i had to kill a chick Come well on. let's not be foolish he also uh, appointed himself man of the year <laughs> right. of that charity that organization was, that was after frauding faking fucking documents and letters and shit <laughs> is that what stands out to you the most it was one of the things what else yeah does? i mean that to me is definitely one of the big ones i mean that geez. poor kid is by far the thing that stands out the most that's yeah. what i'm going to remember from this fucking guy right that's that what i remembered that that's why that stuck with me because it's like what a terrible way to find out your mother was murdered when you find out that your uncle he's a bad man on the tv yeah your Good uncle mom. is the guy who's going to fucking trial for all these murders therapy for life on us oh yeah wow there's the baby picture yep that's me yikes and I was adopted. Fuck. You know, it's just terrible. Absolutely. So that did stand out to me. But the other thing that really stood out, seriously, was the man of the year shit. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck? Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, I'm great. So he's throwing his own parties in his own name. I got the chocolate fondue found. It says Good something. God. <laughs> it either says something where he was in his head at that time. Mm. Or just how he was. Yeah, it seems it like that's just was. how he was. Yeah. I mean, he wanted to be a priest. Yeah. But he didn't make it. So then he faked credentials to become a radiographer or an x-ray tech. Yeah. And and kept that shit going for a while. It's a heavy... And embezzled money the whole time. So you have to imagine there's some mental gymnastics, just world class going yeah. on in his head to Sociopath. make all this shit work. Yeah. It would have been interesting to... To hear a story, like hear his book, read some interviews with him and stuff. Right. I would like to hear in his own words him explain some yeah. of this shit. <laughs> because it's, it's yeah, mind boggling. I don't want to hear him talk. No. Because he seems like a dangerous talker. Yeah. Feral hamster of Kansas. <laughs> Silver tongued feral hamster <laughs> of Kansas. Yeah. Silver's too nice, though, too. I'll have to come up with something else. All right. Well, this has been the Dipshit Files, number eight. I yes, hope you've has. enjoyed it. What's on next week's dipshit files? <laughs> For next week, we're going to be talking UFOs. We need a palate cleanser after this guy, as yeah. they say. And Mrs. Scriptkeeper and I got some stories for you. Oh, it's going to be but, fun. Yeah, it should be all the kinds of barreled monkeys. But before we get kicked out of here yeah. and let you on to your Wednesday eve or day or morning, however you're finding this. Right. We're going to read a couple. You have a couple Yeah, we got letters. a couple letters. Yeah, let's read them. Letters from you turds. This one here is from Donald Fisher. Yeah. He says, I would totally love to send some love to my coworker, Steve Hunt. Please tell me your brother's name is Mike or your middle name, Steve, my cunt. <laughs> when I started at Classy Chassis four years ago, when I met him, he had already been there a year or two. A year after I started, he ended up taking a job as an auto shop teacher. Nice. I only barely knew him before he left, but, and I missed him. I miss working with the Paisel. While being almost 10 years younger than me, I really looked up to him. I know that vibe. He carries himself like a true professional and can switch gears instantly to invoke a bit of much-needed laughter. Why, it's a burden and a gift. By no means is he a dipshit. We nominated our co-worker Jason for that. No. <laughs> I mean, I guess he is now since I got him listening to the dipshit files. At the end of last year, I found out he would be returning because the whole pandemic just made teaching high school Chitrin much more difficult than it already was. Speaking of Chitrin, mm -hmm. he just had a baby, Everett, five months ago. Nice. Congratulations. Sex trophy. Welcome to the world, little Chitrin. Mm -hmm. So even with his new baby, Baby, his wife, and two or more dogs, he can still bring his A-game to work. Nice. I'm really glad he's back with us. So let's raise our glasses, pass that bong, mm -hmm. and give cheers to our classy turd and shitbox dipshit Steve. Dumb. All right. Clink. Cheers, Steve. Cheers. Cheers, fuckface. Cheers, cheers. Fuck face. <laughs> cheers. Exactly. <laughs> 
Right on. And that is Don, the shitbox wizard. Yes. Give and me I, a shout out. And I have another one here. This is from a woman named Julie. Okay. So she wrote in about last week's episode, Stairs in the Woods, and she mm. sent a bunch of photos, which are really cool. Mm. Uh, and this is what she said. Hey, it's Julia. I just finished listening to the dipshit files, and I figured I'd show you the stairs in the woods in my town. Nice. Very interesting. These stairs are not very far in the woods as the stories, though. Better. These stairs used to be part of a bridge, I think. Mm. There is a long trail in Illinois called the I&M Canal Trail, and it used to be a super long canal that old-timey folks used to drag boats up down the canal pulled by donkeys. Nice. Yeah, so... And she says she can even climb to the top without losing her hand. <laughs> <laughs> Good. That's the best kind of stairs in the woods is the one that's that don't hurt you. Excellent. So this is the other side. So basically she says, well, these are the only stairs I know of. Love the show and different topics. Quickly becoming my favorite shows, I think. Uh, thanks, guys. Oh, nice. Yes. Cool, cool. We love having you. Absolutely. Thank you, Julia. Yeah. And we got more oddities are coming. This mm-hmm. planet is filled with them. Oh, yeah. There's so many different stories. Yeah. So many really cool things out there. Absolutely. And there's a lot of shitty people that belong in the dipshit files. Yeah. But we can put this guy away. Yeah. No more dipshit. Done. File that fucking dipshit. <laughs> now that we know all about him, let's in avoid the ra- What they call like the him. round file. Right. Round file that dipshit. Yeah. Round file. And burn it. Burn it. Burn no, it. We'll burn take it what with we've fire. Learned. We'll take what we've learned. Mm-hmm. Like, careful. Yeah, what is the moral of the story? Careful of strangers. Yeah. Always. Uh, if they look like a serial killer, they probably are. Uh, mm. Judge them always by their <laughs> cover. Wait, no, 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 that's not it. Uh, uh, I don't know what to say as far as what what the lesson is here. I don't know if it's if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. But yep. I think we all know that. Yep. Any businesses that have names like professional. <laughs> Serve. Fucking service yeah. associate. Yeah. It means nothing. It's yeah. very vague. It's like, let me see your resume. You let could see. plug any topic into that business and it could be uh, eligible. Right. You know, so if you've if you've uh, been reached out to by a company like this or you have the, you know, <laughs> just look at the name and if it's too vague, really look into it, you know? Yeah. And I really do wish we could, we kind of can on the internet now with Glassdoor and mm. those type of websites, you can look into some of these businesses now. For sure, yeah. Whereas before you couldn't, you just had to take it at face value. Well, it's one thing to do that. You, c- you should be able to go even deeper where it's like people put their diplomas on the wall and that stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's like some of these important degrees. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, what were your grades? Let me see your GPA Oh, too. yeah. And it's like, <laughs> I, I, how much... How much of this was learning trial by error on right. other people like me? Where are you in the process of trial by error? Well, did you, get, did you, you get know, C's like him at the hospital when he was fucking up x-ray and they're like, right. dude, you don't know what the fuck you're doing. <laughs> exactly. You have no idea right. about who, x-rays or children. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the classic thing. Like, I'm going to con people. We're, and, we're just going to let you go. It's a hell of a challenge. He's like, challenge accepted. Mm, I will yeah. do something that I definitely shouldn't. <laughs> I shouldn't be involved in this at all, but I'll kill it. That's what, you know, that's what I learned from this is that delusion can take you very far. Oh, so far. Delusion can make you murder. Yeah. It'll make you again murder. And again yeah, and again. And justified. I'm assuming. I bet he just, I mean, he's trying and, to get out of jail. And like, rent storage spaces with 88 gallon hazmat drums with bodies stuffed in there yeah. for years. Yeah. Ugh. Just stinking up the place. Ugh. Those poor people that own those, uh, the storage places. Yeah. They've, they've got stories. Mm. I got stories. All right. Well, well, this has been fun. Yeah, this has been. Scatcast.com. It's yeah. a great place to find us if you guys would like to support stuff. Mm-hmm. Get some beard oil. Yeah. Get some shirts. <laughs> Definitely coffee mugs. We're coffee mug heavy. Hey, you hey. know what? What? 
There was not one fuck me running wife. Fuck me running wife. There really wasn't. <laughs> no. There wasn't a need to. And I'm not going to just say that all the time. What do I look like? Ah, well, you Some did. One of, episode, it I became did. a fucking drinking game. Well, then I stopped. <laughs> because I'm not a goddamn monkey. I'm not your goddamn circus clown. How dance, about that? monkey, dance. No. But uh, no, we appreciate you guys. You can go to Patreon, Scatcast there, mm-hmm. and become you know one of the, the litter box. And that's always a blast. Oh, yeah. But rate and review is always nice. But just listening is great. You yeah. can tell your friends if you like this and if you want to learn with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we enjoy learning with you. And keep those emails coming. We get a lot of them, and I really enjoy reading them. Absolutely. All of them. They're so they much fun. Send us in fun directions. And yeah. Yeah, definitely corrections here and there. Mm-hmm. That's always lovely as well. And new subject matter. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yep. You're always welcome in our world. Thanks for being a part of our world. Yes. And we'll talk at you in the future. It'll seem like the present. Goodbye. <laughs> Files. Bing bong. bong.